Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I want to thank you for listening and ask you to look around the site. We have over 3,500 audios featuring great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea and other lands, Bible studies. My books are on Amazon.com, and you can contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. Please also check out my new website that allows you to tune in to the new Hackberry Radio. Just go to hackberryhouseofchosun.com and take a look and a listen. Well, today I'm reading from the Free Grace Broadcaster. That's a quarterly put out by the people at Mount Zion Bible Church in Pensacola, Florida. The topic this quarter is Precious Blood. And to speak on it, we read the words of Charles Spurgeon. I'm going to actually read two articles, or one and a half, I might say, of Charles Spurgeon. We'll, next time we do this, we'll finish that Spurgeon message, which is a little longer article. Hebrews 13:12. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. In one sense, Sanctification is wholly the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is another meaning, which is more usually affixed to the term, in which sanctification is rightly described as the work of God, the Holy Spirit. Many disputes have arisen concerning this doctrine, because all men do not distinguish between the two meanings of the same word. There is one kind of sanctification that signifies setting apart. In that sense, God's people were sanctified from all eternity. They were sanctified in election before they had a being, for they were even then set apart from the impure mass to be vessels of honor, meet for the master's use. Further, as redemption has in it much of peculiarity and speciality, God's people were sanctified or set apart by the blood of Christ, when on Mount Calvary he offered up himself, an offering without spot or blemish for the sins of his people. And so it is true that Jesus is not only made unto us wisdom and righteousness, but also sanctification. You will remember that in one of my recent sermons, the text of which was Jesus only, I made the remark that it was Jesus only for sanctification. I have not had any reason to retract that expression, for there is a sense in which sanctification, as far as it means setting apart, is an eternal work and is a work wholly completed for us by the election of the Father and the blood of Jesus Christ. Still, sanctification sometimes, and most generally too, signifies another thing. It means the work of the Spirit within us. There is a work that God the Holy Ghost carries on from the first moment of our spiritual birth to the last moment when we are taken to heaven, a work by which corruptions are overcome, lusts restrained, faith increased, love inflamed, hope brightened, and the Spirit made fit to dwell with the glorified above. That is the work of God's Holy Spirit, yet we must remember that Even though it is the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, even in this, still sanctifies his people. For with what does the Holy Spirit sanctify them? Beloved, he sanctifies them with the precious blood of Jesus. 
We know that when our Savior died, his sacrifice had a double object. One object was pardon, the other was cleansing. And both the blood and the water flowed from the same source to show us that justification and sanctification both spring from the same divine fountain. Though sanctification is the work of the Spirit in us, yet to accomplish this purpose, the Holy Spirit uses the sacrificial blood of Jesus and the sacred water of his atonement applied to our heart, sprinkling us from dead works, purging us from an evil conscience, that we may serve God without hindrance. And so then, Christian, in thy sanctification, look to Jesus. Remember that the Spirit sanctifies thee, but that he sanctifies thee through Jesus. He does not sanctify thee through the works of the law, but through the atonement of Christ. And wilt thou therefore remember that the nearer thou livest to the cross of Jesus, the more of sanctification, growth, and increase in all spiritual blessings will his Spirit give to thee? So then we see that whatever sanctification may mean, the text is still true. Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us pause here a moment and and let each of us ask this question. How far has Christ's purpose of sanctifying me been answered in my own case? I know that in one sense I am completely sanctified, but in another sense I still feel my imperfections and infirmities. How far have I progressed in sanctification during the past year? How much has my faith increased during the year? How many of my corruptions have I overcome? How much nearer am I living to Christ now than on the first Sabbath of last year? How much do I know of the Savior? How much closer do I approach in my likeness to Him? Have I more power in prayer? Am I more careful in my life? Is my spirit more loving than it used to be? Am I more decisive for that which is right? At the same time, am I meeker in standing up for it? Am I, in all respects, more like my master than I was a year ago? Or, on the other hand, have I been going backward? Stand still, I cannot. I must either go forward in grace or go backward. Which have I been doing during the the past year? And I charge thee, O my heart, whatever answer thou hast to give to these questions, still to remember that, If thou art never so much sanctified, thou hast not yet attained perfection. I beseech thee, forget that which is behind, and press forward toward that which is before, looking still unto Jesus, who is both the author and the finisher of faith. The Lord give you so plenteously of his grace, that you may be wholly sanctified, body, soul, and spirit. And I pray God to preserve you all unto his coming and glory. And now, paging a little bit farther in this little booklet, which I hope you will order, I'll tell you how in just a little while, I come to another Charles Spurgeon article in the same booklet, and this one's entitled, This is My Blood Shed for Many. He uses Matthew twenty six twenty eight, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many, for the remission of sins. The Lord Jesus Christ was then alive, sitting at the table. Yet, pointing to the cup filled with red wine, he said, This is my blood, which is shed for many. 
This proves that he could not have intended that the wine was literally his blood. Surely it is no longer necessary to refute the gross and carnal dogma of transubstantiation, which is obviously absurd. There sat the living Lord at the supper with his blood in his veins, and therefore the wine could not literally be his blood. Value the symbol, but to confound it with the thing symbolized would draw into the idolatrous worship of a piece of bread. Our Lord spoke of his blood as shed when he, as yet the nails had not pierced his hands and feet, and the spear had not broached his side. Is not this to be accounted for by the fact that our Lord was so taken up with the thought of our redemption by his death that he speaks of that as done, which he was so resolved to do? Enjoying loving inter relationship with his chosen disciples, he spoke freely. His heart did not study accuracy as much as feeling, and so in speech as in feeling, he antedated his great work of atonement and spoke of it as done. To set forth the future intent of the blessed ordinance of the Lord's Supper, he must treat his death as an accomplished fact, and his complete absorption in his work made it easy and natural for him to do so. He ignores moods and tenses. His work is before him. By the use of such language, our Lord also shows us the abiding presence of the great sacrifice as a power and an influence. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and therefore he speaks of his blood as shed. In a few hours it would be literally poured forth, but long ages before, the Lord God had regarded it as done. In full confidence in the great surety that he would never draw back from the perfect fulfillment of his engagements, the Father saved multitudes in virtue of the future sin offering. He communed with myriads of saints on the strength of the purification that would, in the fullness of time, be presented by the great high priest. Could not the father trust his son? He did so. By this act, set us a great example of faith. God himself is in very deed the father of the faithful, seeing that he himself reposed the utmost confidence in Jesus because of what he would yet do. In the pouring out of his soul unto death, he opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. What, my soul, canst thou not trust the sacrifice now that it has been presented? If the foresight of it was enough for God, is not the consummation of it enough for thee? Behold, the Lamb of God, who even before he died was described as taking away the sin of the world. If this was so before he went to Calvary, how surely is it so now that he has said in verity and truth, it is finished. Dear friends, I'm going to preach to you again upon the cornerstone of the gospel. How many times will this make, I wonder? The doctrine of Christ crucified is always with me. As the Roman sentinel in Pompeii stood at his post, even when the city was destroyed, so do I stand to the truth of the atonement, though the church is being buried beneath the boiling mud showers of modern heresy. Everything else can wait. But this one truth must be proclaimed with a voice of thunder. 
Others may preach as they will, but as for this pulpit, it shall always resound with the substitution of Christ. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some may continually preach Christ as an example. Others may perpetually discourse upon his coming to glory. We also preach both. But mainly we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You have before you a cup filled with wine, which Jesus has just blessed and presented to his disciples. As you look into its rosy depths, hear him speak of the cup as his blood, for thus he would teach us a solemn lesson. Note first the importance of the precious blood of Christ, the vital importance of the great truth of the death of Christ as a substitutionary sacrifice is set before us in this cup, which is the memorial of his blood shed for many. Blood represents suffering, but it goes further and suggests suffering unto death. The blood is the life thereof. And when blood is too copiously shed, death is suggested. Remember that in the sacred supper you have the bread as a separate emblem of the body, and then the wine as a separate symbol of the blood. And thus you have a clear picture of death, since the blood is separated from the flesh. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. Both acts are essential. You are invited to fix your attention upon the death of Christ and upon that only. In the suffering of our Lord unto death we see the boundless stretch of his love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus could not be more loving to us than to yield himself unto death, even the death of the cross. O my Lord! In thy bloody sweat and in the piercing of thy hands, feet, and side, I see the highest proof of thy love. Here I see that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Beloved, I beg you to consider often and lovingly the sufferings of your Redeemer unto the pouring out of his heart's blood. Go with him to Gethsemane, thence to the house of Caiaphas and Annas, then to Pilate's hall and to Herod's place of mockery. Behold your Lord beneath the cruel scourges and in the hands of the executioners upon the hill of shame. Forget not one of the sorrows that were mingled in the bitter cup of his crucifixion, its pain, its mockery, its shame. It was a death reserved for slaves and felons. To make its deep abysses absolutely bottomless, he was forsaken even of his God. Let the darkness of Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, Bear down upon your spirit until as you sink in awe, you also rise in love. He loved you better than he loved himself. The cup means love, even to the shedding of his blood for you. It means, well, it means something more. In our hymn, we have called our Lord giver of life for life. And that is what this cup means. He gave up his life that we might live. He stood in our place and stead in the day of Jehovah's wrath, receiving into his bosom the fiery sword that was unsheathed for our destruction. The pouring out of his blood has made our peace with God. 
Jehovah made the soul of his only begotten an offering for sin, that the guilty might be cleared. He hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is what the wine in the cup means. It means the death of Jesus in our stead. It means the blood poured out from the heart of the incarnate God that we might have fellowship with God, the sin that divided us being expiated by his death. Thank you so much again for being here. You want to get that free grace broadcaster. Uh, If you're interested, all you have to do is to write to the people at chapel at mountzion.org. Chapel at mountzion.org. This free periodical will be sent to you every three months if you just write them a letter and ask. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.